0: Hey everyone. Welcome to Brain Health with Dr. Nissen. In this show, we explore the universe's great unknown, the human brain. In my reflections and interviews with guests, we'll go to the forefront of psychiatry, neuroscience, nutrition, and medicine to see how we can enhance our mental health, sharpen our cognition, and reach better performance. This is Brain Health, and I'm Dr. Nissen. Let's dive right in. Well, welcome to Brain Health with Dr. Nissen. Today I'm here with Owen Marcus. Um, and I'm very excited to have a discussion about men's mental health, which is a an area that, you know, is is um, in my opinion, really neglected. Um, and I think that there's um, you know, some particular challenges that that men's that men have as far as their their mental health and and how to talk about emotions and, um, you know, things that are, that are really, um, sort of stigmatized for men. Um, and I've heard of Owen as being a real expert in this. Um, Owen, would you mind introducing yourself for those who don't know about you and your work with Everyman?
1: Yeah, sure, Nick. Um, I'm a co-founder of Everyman. Uh, Everyman's a, uh, call it an emotional wellness company. We work with men, get into this working with men just over 25 years ago, uh, primarily because I saw my relationships with women weren't working. And I thought that maybe, you know, if I improved my relationship with men, that that might help my relationship with women. I found that it did. And and over 11, evolution of those years, I ended up developing a new model of uh, first working with men in men's groups, but then it expanded to just working with men through the more somatic experience, not just the emotional or intellectual experience and i found that to be really effective for men
0: awesome well you know i i I like to dive right into the uh the meat of the conversation so that people don't get bored uh at the beginning so you know if you have a couple takeaways for somebody listening to this what what do you think would be your main takeaways before we really dive in
1: um what i found from myself and then thousands of men is that you know you ask us What do you feel and you know how it is with guys you know either we roll our eyes or we're looking for the closest door to get out of the the room so we don't have that conversation um and what i learned first in my uh, practice i used to have a a holistic or integrated medical clinic in scottsdale so i used to work with a lot of guys and a lot of more you know top professionals elite athletes and so really healthy guys successful guys but under a lot of stress and a lot of that stress was emotional and I want to talk to them about their emotions, but they, they didn't want to talk to, them, uh, talk to me about their emotions. But when you would ask them about stress or their body, they'd be glad to talk. So I just noticed over the years that um, most men will respond to uh, a body question. And if you know how to ask the questions, you'll start to elicit more body awareness. And eventually as you get that man more aware of their bodies, they'll become more aware of their emotions and it becomes quite easy for them to sh- to feel and then to share their emotional experience. And after they do that a few times, they start to realize that, that they can actually be pretty good with doing that and the benefits from doing that.
0: So that's really neat because, um, you know, you're talking about using the body as sort of a window into your own emotional self. And I think that for a lot of guys who maybe aren't very familiar uh, with with emotions and, and how do you, you know, know what they're feeling? Um, it's helpful to have tools like that to sort of get a little bit of insight into their emotional selves. Um, and, and I think in another way, you know, guys are are looking for something that's, that doesn't feel too fluffy, something that doesn't feel too, um, um, uh, unrelatable. And I, and I think, um, you know, for, for, people who attach themselves perhaps to hypermasculinity um to uh to strength to um you know to exercise to grit determination um i think that you know messages to them of oh uh you know cry it out if you have to uh tr- treat yourself um well you know have have a dessert if you feel like it and and in a sort of self-care, um, it's a very gentle sort of message that mental health is putting out there right now. And I think for a lot of guys whose lives aren't going well or who feel like they're struggling, they don't want that. You know, they don't want that gentle. Oh, they're there. Everything's going to be okay. They want. They want some inspiration. They want something to. You know, they want somebody to hold them accountable and say, hey. You know, you you know that you could do better, and you want to do better. Uh, let's let's start to do it. You know, um, so for some people, it's kind of a more active sort of message that they need, but for other people they may not even know that what they're having is an emotional problem and looking f- at their bodies is, is maybe one way that they can get a little bit of uh, insight in, into their emotions. Um, do you find that that's sort of similar? I think it, the first um, part that I was talking about is sort of, uh, you know, guys looking for a message that's uh, that that's n- other than this sort of gentle message that's given um, in, in mental health um, sort of, conversation online
1: yeah i think they're looking for a different message delivered in a different way as you're saying nick um and i think they are looking for a certain kind of compassionate accountability it's it's actually a a bigger phenomenon and that um and this is this i don't mean this any pejorative way but i think we don't realize that by default much of our emotional model is a more of a feminine model and by that i mean that particularly since we left the industrial revolution over 200 years ago, men have not been home. And so women had to step up and raise us and our teachers were women. So consequently, all the boys and men, we've gotten the model of how to be emotional from women. And now what, 90% of the therapists that are being trained are women. And so they're all really trying and they're often very aware and sensitive and caring. And they're very good at knowing when we get it right and we get it wrong we're probably 80% similar, but that other 20% that's different particularly shows up in how we relate to, say, our partners. And so what happens is men really want to succeed emotionally. They want to certainly succeed in their relationship, and, and they try to do it like we've been taught, which we all think is the right way because that's what we've been taught. But what we're finding is when we put men together in a safe, emotionally safe environment, like a a training that we do, or a men's group that we have, men start to innately become vulnerable or authentic. And then they start to see other men be vulnerable in a way that is unique for men or genuine for them. And that becomes a new model. And pretty quickly, most guys will pick up on that and go, hey, Nick, if you can do it, I can do. Or the other thing that happens is, hell, if you can do it, I'm going to do it better. I'm going to be more emotional, more vulnerable and you know guys will start crying for the first time in decades and then actually be honored for it and not be shamed for it as they are in most other situations so we in in our environments without any forethought or setup guys just naturally let go of that hyper masculinity that you talked about that model and they show up in a more authentic way and we start teaching each other what it's like to feel as a man and and to express as a man, and quickly, because I think it's an innate skill, most men learn this, and as I said earlier, one of the ways in there is to help guide these guys through their somatic or body experience.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. You put it in the historical context of you know men uh, and fathers going into to work and being out of the household and not being able to be role models for for um, for our emotional sort of processes. And and I think that it's really important what you just talked about of vulnerability, um, because you know although I did mention. Uh, crying it out before. Uh, I, I think I misspoke because crying is, uh, you know, a beautifully vulnerable thing, an awesomely vulnerable thing, which is, um, uh, w- which you know, in a lot of ways is, is a much stronger sign of strength than not crying. And, um, you know, it really, the, 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 the weakness, as one can say, would be trying to hide something, you know, trying to, trying to being too ashamed to share something that you've been struggling with or being too ashamed to share something that, that's, you know, that, that's been going through your mind. And rather to be vulnerable, talk about it and, um, you know, and, and bring it out there is really an act of strength.
1: Yes, and it is an act of courage. And what happens is in our environments, guys see that. They see that, you know, if you, if you say, tell a story or share an experience, say about your wife and you're crying or you even show a little emotion, other men will honor
0: you for it. Absolutely. Um, Well, I think that it'd be interesting now to kind of go into what is it that uh, you are all doing at Everyman and how is it that you are creating this environment of men's mental health what what's your approach to this and um you know what does it say about what's missing in men's mental health
1: um yeah i think one of the things that's missing is just men connecting in an authentic way which you know could be a vulnerable way but it's just in a real way and and what we do with every man is we don't come at it with any big precept other than that you know we create an emotionally safe space. We give a, a little skills or principles to, to use to help be authentic. And these men start doing that. Uh, and sort of the ultimate of what we work with is having guys in being in regular or weekly men's groups. And this is something that, you know, I've been doing for 25 years. And through the, you know, the regularness of that, men start to not only heal but they also start to learn and they build connection. Because for most of us men, less this or school, you know, high school, college, or whatever it was, or the military or some similar kind of organization, we stop having really close friends. And so, yeah, you know, I work with guys all different ages. And what I find is the older they get and the stats support this, is the fewer and fewer friends that they have. And particularly authentic friends, And so we as men are really hungry for not just friends, but guys that we can be real with, be vulnerable with, get support from and give support. And that's that giving support is a real key component of what we do, which was a surprise for me. And I think for most men, because we don't realize that, you know, you and I are in a group and and you're going through something and I support you in it and, and you receive some benefit from it. We leave that. I leave that meeting feeling really empowered that me being who I am has made a difference in your life. And and so, for most men, we don't have an opportunity to do that, to just be who we are and have that be a powerful action for someone else, and then to be appreciated and honored for it.
0: What do you think are some of the main things that come up in these men's groups? Um, things that, that men are trying to process.
1: Probably the, the biggest thing that brings guys to us is a, a relationship issue. Um, the most acute would be their wife, their partner says, either you change or I'm gone. We get some of that, or more likely, it you know they hit a certain threshold and it's you know and it's stagnant. It's not getting any better or it's slowly going down and they're starting to realize that, okay, they've had other relationships like that, they're the consistent variable, maybe they need to do something about it. And and as you know, a lot of guys are afraid to do therapy. Now, I think younger men are more open, but traditionally men are afraid to do therapy. So for a lot of guys, this is an easier step for them. Uh, And there's something about being with men, being in a men's group or men's training, that intrigues guys that goes you know, the way they go, okay, uh, that maybe that would be great, but also fun.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh so y- you mentioned um, you know, relationship issues being one of the main things that that bring that brings people in, or one of the main things that people want to work on. Um, I'm curious if there's a few other things that that come up commonly, uh, because I I think organically in my friend group there's been um you know different groups that have sort of spontaneously came up about either like spiritual groups or sort of religious groups to to discuss you know those questions or concerns uh there's been groups around uh like professional sort of goal setting and um holding one another accountable feeling like like um like somebody's not uh, or somebody feeling like they're not achieving everything they could and looking for somebody to hold them accountable. And another one which I'm curious is, is common um, is the issue of pornography, um, which is something that uh, that I know from the literature and something that I've covered in other podcasts seems to be a really widespread issue uh, that isn't being discussed very much. Is there anything like that or, or other things that are, that are very common?
1: Yeah, we see it all. And in- as you know, with the younger men, uh, pornography can be a real problem, can be a real addiction, and and that comes up when we talk about it. Um, you know, sometimes in our trainings, if it comes up, but particularly in our groups, uh, often a guy doesn't reveal that right up front. You might, might be in a group for several months before you know he feels safe enough or ha- has enough courage to admit to it, but often when he admits to it, other guys will admit to it. Um, and, like Gabba Mate will say, and others have said, and you know, researchers said that I think this huge part of addictions, and we'll call that an addiction or a very strong habit that comes from being disconnected. Disconnected from your own emotional experience, somatic experience, and disconnected from others. And so, as we know, with pornography, yeah, you get connected to you know, the internet, the image, and this false sense of the feminine and, and all that, and then you literally reinforce that connection with your body, so it gets even stronger, and and so, yeah, these guys have these relationships or sex with women, and they're not able to be present with themselves with or with their partner, and that can actually, you know, be, become a big problem in the relationship, and they know that, but... Uh, even when they stop the pornography, that connection with themselves and particularly with their partner doesn't naturally come back usually. They have to learn how to you know how to establish or reestablish that connection. And particularly if a man or a boy starts something like that at a young age, in his development, his development gets diverted, and so his natural maturation, is thwarted or stops at that point, so consequently you have to sort of go back and pick it up where he left it off.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think what you you know mentioned with Gavarmonte talking about uh, addiction being related to uh, lack of connect- connectivity in general, there's this theory of addictions as being a self-medication or self-treatment. And so, you know, we can think of um, any addiction and something like pornography as being a way to treat a problem that you're having. And so, um, you know, it may be that you feel lonely or, or unconnected and uh, this sort of false intimacy or false sexuality that you have, you know, gives you this window into connection for a brief for a brief while um and similarly you know somebody that feels like they're um not achieving everything they want to or maybe feeling like uh you know powerless you know having a sort of false sexual experience gives you a momentary sort of flash of power or sort of euphoria uh if you know in a way that's that's treating a deficit that's there so um you know in a lot of ways there's a wisdom out of out of addictions um, they, they show us uh, what it is that's, that's lacking um, and, uh, and can be a, a path for, you know, finding another more productive way to address whatever's lacking there. Could you talk a little bit about how um, anxiety and or severe psychological trauma kind of manifests in the body and how you can use that to sort of give someone insight into their emotional state?
1: Yeah, I have to give credit to um, Peter Levine, uh, who, you know, I think many would consider the maybe not the founder of PTSD research, but certainly of PTS therapy. And um, I was trained as a rolfer and was a a rolfer, which is a particular kind of body work for 40 years. And that's how I ended up having the clinic. Uh, He was actually trained as a rolfer by Dr. Rolf. And Dr. Rolf said, look, Peter, you're too small to be a rolfer. Uh, so he went and got a couple of PhDs from Berkeley and, and then ended up discovering how the body deals with trauma or in terms of PTSD doesn't deal with trauma. And so essentially what happens with PTSD is that frozen st- state, you know the, the third option from fight or fr- or f- fr- flight or free, uh, excuse me fight or fr- uh, flight, uh, that freeze response, uh, gets stuck in the body and the person stays in a hyper-aroused state, even though externally they don't see that or think that or believe that or maybe feel it, but their nervous system is in a survival state. And so what I realized when I was working with my clients years ago is that to the extent that our body is in a survival state, we are limited in our ability to heal, connect, create, uh, and really enjoy life. Now, part of the problem is, it's often for most of us been a progression. It's, for a few people, it's been they've been doing well and then they have a severe trauma. For most of us, it's a, it's a gradual pro- progression. Secondly, we live in a culture where we're all sort of there. And thirdly, we haven't had a, a model to, until recently that understood that, let alone a way to sort of reverse that. So what happens is, uh we'll, we'll just talk about a severe trauma because we continue to get guys that are vet, veterans that, that truly had the classical ptsd and what happens is you know the proverbial thing of uh, they're sitting at the dinner table a car backfires and they immediately jump under the table and what that is and they understand that you know after the fact it was just a backfire but their system is so attuned to be in survival and to be on lure the least amount of stimulus, just locks them right into that response. And so what happens is these vets come home and they not only can't they like connect to their partners, but they're either depressed or angry or an alcoholic or an addict because they're so stressed out that there's no way without the right support that they can not just deal with it, but release that stress. Because what happens is that stress or trauma literally goes to the body. So Hans Seller, which was an MD, what, 50 years ago, wrote the, the book on stress, the, the stress of life. And, and because he was so progressive, he had to leave the U.S. and go practice in Canada because they called him a quack. But what he said, one of the things he said in that book was fascia, that connective tissue that holds us together, is the organ of stress. And as a Rolfer, that's what we're working with and so our soft tissue literally stores that stress now we know that at least in an acute way we, you know, we have a bad day and we have tight shoulders we have a bad week our back gets tight but over a lifetime that tension just builds and it, it, and it it's sort of like it keeps the accelerator glued to the floor in other words we might be at a stop sign we push the clutch in, but our engine's still revving. So we're not going anyplace, but internally, our system is all red up. And what that means is we're literally wearing ourselves out. And we, in a subjective way, are, are experiencing life as a survival situation. So that vet comes home and his wife says, Honey, what do you want for dinner? And for whatever reason... He feels like he's being accused or attacked, and suddenly he goes into a 20-minute diatribe attacking her. And after the fact, he comes out of that, and he realizes what he's done. He understands that that was inappropriate, but in that moment, he had no control because in that moment, he lost complete cognitive awareness. Yeah, he went into a survival state because... You know, in a survival state, we shut down other things. One of the things we shut down is the frontal lobe of our head. You know, our our cognitive ability is shut down because we got to orient everything towards survival. And so to the extent that these men are stuck in survival, it is hard for them to do the things that they want to do in life. Connect, curate, heal. And as they not just intellectually learn, but somatically and emotionally learn how to release that, they start to downregulate that survival and stress and they're able to start to connect to themselves and to others
0: yeah i think that that's you know it, it's a really good example in particular you know talking about veterans and and imagining the different ways that stress can be manifest in the body you're talking about through fashion through these experiences of back pain neck pain um and that that's certainly one sign you know that's that's that somebody could look to, to know whether or not they're stressed and 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 having difficulty dealing with their stresses if they have uh you know back pain or neck pain that continues to bother them um other signs that that i like to tell people to look for is your bowel your bowel habits your your how often you poop and how regularly you poop it is one of the easiest ways to get an idea of how stressed you are and how comfortable you are and if you if you think that i'm full of crap (laughs) you can um look at yourself the next time that you travel and see, you know, Hey, uh, you become less regular when you're traveling. And that shows, you know, just these little changes in your environment that put you a little bit on edge that make you feel a little less comfortable, um, have the ability to change, you know, how your intestines move. Um, and, um, and similarly, um, how you sleep as well. Um, a lot of times people will find that their sleep is of lower quality when they're in a less familiar environment. Um, and so if you have difficulty sleeping, if you have, uh, problems with your bowels, in addition to back pain, neck pain, and and so many other signs, but really those are some go-to ones. Um, I think that, uh, you should definitely consider whether or not there's something emotional there going on, something stress related, um, that, that should be looked into.
1: Well, I think that's a very, very good uh, point, and and as you know, um, you know the ventral vagal nerve controls the gut, and we talk about you know that gut brain and and how important that is, and so that's all soft tissue, and that's where stress goes. It might show up as over time as an ulcer, or colitis, and all these other things, and and inevitably, Americans have a hard stomach. We think we should have a tight stomach from the six-pack abs to the sucked in gut. And when you think about it, that's almost pathological. When you look at babies, you look at any other animal and their stomachs aren't tense. And if your stomach is tense, that's gonna affect your GI functions and probably uh, add to your stress. And so one of the simplest things is, can you really relax your stomach to a point where if you palpate it, you know, there's. It, it, you can feel in there, it gives. And for most men in particular, you know, in part because we were trained, you know, we have a hard stomach and that's the biggest setup for chronic back problems, let alone GI problems.
0: Yeah, that's a really great point. And that's, um, I was, I've been in this mindfulness meditation course and you can pick different areas of your body to sort of focus on, um, as you meditate. And one that I like to do is, is my gut and to, See um, if I can relax it to where it just feels heavy and soft mm-hmm. and loose um, in a way. That, and it's it amazes me that it as does, soon as it I does. focus on that, it's like I've held my belly the whole day. Right. This you know, right? Right. Well,
1: you're you're more aware than most of us. Yeah. And when you let go of your belly, you relax. You're telling your body that you're safe. And the converse is true. When we're tense, we're telling our bodies or our psyche that we're not safe. And it, and it, and it takes courage, even when you're doing that's mindfulness meditation, just to relax, just to even subtly relax. And the first thing is just being aware of it. Like you said,
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, I, I think that it'd be interesting now to talk a little bit more about, you know, it's, we already, we, I just mentioned mindfulness meditation, but, I uh, in, in ways other than these uh, men's groups where they're discussing, they're talking about things that they're dealing with and they're supporting one another, uh, what are some other ways that you bring out, maybe in your retreats that you have, uh, you know, practices to either decrease anxiety or help to relieve depression? Or what are some other things in your, in your toolbox?
1: Well, my toolbox, what, you know, we don't do this at the retreats, is good body work where first it's making you aware of your body which again, most guys are pretty unaware of. Uh, second, it trains your body to relax. So with, a, with g- good body work, you know, say uh, you know, I might touch your IT band, you know, that part of the outside of the leg that's tight in all guys. And for many guys, you just touch it and they jump. You go, oh, you're hurting me, you're hurting me. But you know, they know that I'm not going hard, but they realize how, how tense they are. And I was an extreme case of this myself. But over time, you learn to surrender to that tension or pain. And in doing that, you learn to relax. And then then as you learn to relax, it actually starts to release. And then systemically, your body learns how to relax. So body work is one good way to do that. And there's a lot of forms of body work you can do. Uh, In terms of uh, the everyman work, yeah, a lot of our work is somatic mindfulness. So somatic is the body and mindfulness is being aware of what is happening in the moment with your experience. And so we focus that experience on the body. And um, I used to have a company that taught John Kabat-Zinn's um, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction back in the mid nineties. And, and it was amazing to see how these super tight A professionals after a couple of weeks relax and have these you know, huge shifts just from doing what you were saying Nick, of doing these meditations every day and training their bodies, even though they think that they thought that they weren't doing it well, they still were training their bodies to relax. And once they started doing that, all these physical affects started to change. So just becoming aware of your body's experience is one thing. And then with that, noticing how you're interacting with other people. And it's it's not multitasking, but I call it dual awareness. So, you know, we're interacting and I'm aware of my body. I'm aware of where I'm tight. I'm aware of my feelings. So it's like, I'm tracking my experience in several levels so that, you know, I can, I can work with that so that I feel more present. I'm more effective. And when I leave this interaction, I'm not feeling like, Oh, why didn't I say that? Why didn't I feel this? And, and I know what that felt like you have a deep conversation with someone and you leave it and it's like you weren't there and so it's training men to be present to their experience so they can be present with other men's or or anyone's experience
0: yeah and it does take training to uh to learn how to do that and i think that um you know just as much as uh looking at different treatments or ways to help people that struggle with anxiety it's it's an art to learn how to be uh, uh somebody that can support someone with anxiety or depression or or some some amount of mental illness because uh, we all tend to go into our helping um mechanisms right away if somebody's saying oh you know my boss is such a jerk, you know, then then you say, well, you should quit, you should get another job, you should, um, you know, you should really tell him, you know, to treat you differently, speak up to him. And, um, and, you know, it's something that I, that I, I struggle with in my own personal life, you can be cognitively aware of it. But uh, really, when people are are you know voicing a, a concern or a complaint most of the time they're looking for support and they're looking for somebody to listen to it and to be curious about it ask them a little bit more about it um, and if it if it stinks to say man that stinks you know and leave it at that instead of going into well let's do something about it right away
1: yeah very good point because guys were oriented towards doing a performance and what you spoke to is underneath that it scares us. So if you start telling me about, say, your marriage or whatever and how something's not working, uh, I might go, well, yeah, leave her or do this or do that. Or, and because, as you said, that's a, a cop-out in one way, but it's easy because I don't want to feel, I don't want to be empathetic and sort of resonate with your emotions. And with that, I don't want to ask you a question that will actually, one, or, or even, not even ask a question, but say something that affirms your experience because that's difficult for men. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: One, we don't know how to do it. Two, it's uncomfortable. And three, yeah, we think that that's not a masculine thing to do. And the other thing is, we don't know how to ask a question that will actually take you deeper into your experience. Mm. And so I might say, well, Nick, yeah, wow, that that sounds really tough that you you had that really tough fight with your wife last night, and that must really hurt. Uh, And then to come up with a question that really helps draw you out so that You can not just understand it, but feel it and release it and express it in a way that helps you, you know, know, downregulate the stress but resolve the situation to get to a point where you might realize, wow, um, you're you know, I now I realize that you know I was angry at my wife because I didn't say something to the other person and that call right before I went in to st- talk to my wife and I went into that conversation with a chip on my shoulder and, oh, I didn't know that. And, you know, and now, you know, now I'm going to go apologize to my wife. Um, and so, right. yeah, it, we're not trying to do that as men.
0: Right. And whenever there's something, you know, whenever you say something that you're pissed about or that is emotionally charged, uh, it's just usually, you know, so just the the first taste of of a lot more behind it, and that there's a lot more that needs to be released usually, and and I think that it's important to think about negative emotions through this lens of of uh, ironic processing theory, where which is described as like a pushing a beach ball uh, under the water, you know, where uh, if we are having something that we're struggling with more and more that we suppress it, that we try not to talk about it, that we try to hide it. It's like pushing that beach ball under the water. And just like what would happen with that beach ball is, you know, it, it leads to more energy behind it, more of an explosion when you let loose of it. And instead, if somebody like ourselves or a friend comes to us with something that's really emotional, um, you know, we want to get them to fully let it out. We want to bring that beach ball fully to the surface because then there's no more energy left behind it once it's fully uh talked about and expressed
1: but it takes a particular kind of man to be able to be with another man or really anyone That's that right. can just create that emotional safe space so if you have this beach ball that you just trained to you know keep held down and it's just getting bigger and bigger uh to just be there so that you can let go of it right. in other words you know, sort of hold the emotional safe space so you can have the full experience because chances are when that the seed for that ball had that first experience as a kid, it wasn't safe to have that experience. And you kept on reinforcing that inability to have that experience. And then the ball grew to be this huge ball.
0: Hmm. So if you think that there's some men that are listening to this and they're thinking, wow, wow. I've never really thought about my emotions. I don't really know um, how to get started with this, but I think I do want to, uh, you know, I think I maybe do have some anxiety and maybe I do have some depression or some sort of addiction. I want to start working on it. Uh, Where do you suggest they get started? And um, yeah, I guess we leave it at that. Where do you suggest they get started? Well,
1: I mean, I think there's a lot of things they can do from therapy to, you know, you're welcome to check out every man. We have some things that are completely free, and then we have a membership that's really pretty inexpensive that gives guys a lot of options. Uh, We are not therapy, and we really, you know, we're not a 12-step program, so generally, uh, you know, we would say, you know, if you have an addiction, you know, deal with the addiction. Not that, you know, we can help, and we've had guys particularly in my groups that came and said, look, you know, I'm coming off of this addiction and I really want to not only get off of it, but I want to deal with what got me into it. Or guys are on, you know, psychotropic meds and say, look, you know, they're not doing it. And I have all these downsides to it. I want to get off of it. And, you know, I'll say, great. But if you're on the meds, it's, you know, it might be hard for us to work over a long period of time, because often those meds disconnected from your emotions so if yeah if you're willing you know to down regulate those drugs or get off of them and with the support of your you know your healthcare practitioner yeah yeah we'll help you connect to the parts of you that were disconnected Mm -hmm. and that's going to be true for every guy and so ultimately what i want for men no matter how they work with themselves is that they reach a place of not only sustainability but a genitive state where they learn some things that keep improving or growing as as they grow older so that they actually get better using these principles and skills that should have been taught to us as a kid, but never were.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. I think, you know, you, you touched on an important thing to say to everyone, which is, you know, if you are, uh, feeling like you have an addiction, it's out of control. If you feel unsafe or that, uh, you may harm yourself or somebody else, you need to talk with your healthcare provider. You need to, um, uh, if it's an emergency to go to the emergency department or call 911. Uh, but for so many other people that aren't in that situation and they're just feeling like, you know, I want to build my, my, my knowledge about my own uh, emotional self, um, I think that, um, you know, you've offered some really interesting insights here. Think about your body, think about what things you're noticing and back pain or, uh, or your sleep patterns or your bowel patterns. Like we talked about, um, those are some good ways to have some insight into it and to try to carve out a few minutes each day to sort of, um, to, uh, just sit and be, and look at where your mind goes, because that can really be, um, that can really show you something about, um, thought patterns that you're ruminating on that you didn't realize um just sitting without having a goal exactly for for what that is um can can help can start to be a, a an eye-opening place to start um do you have anything else to add there for well, i would
1: just yeah emphasize that that uh and what you're describing is the core of what we work with is getting guys to slow down mm-hmm. because being in that survival stress state is a hyper arousal state as we know so, slowing down can be, at first, a scary thing. But to slow down our mind, our body, our behavior, our emotions, whatever, is what allows us to start to connect and release this old stress or trauma. And so, over the years, I created this, what I call Firm or R-O-C. The R is to, you know, is to rest or release. Uh, and that, you know, we do that by slowing down. And so it's slowing down. The O is to open up and be vulnerable. And the C, you know, with that is to reach out and connect. And so as men slow down, it's a setup for them to be vulnerable to themselves. And now that vulnerability, we just want to connect with people and it starts to get easy. You know, I work with a lot of guys either through coaching or particularly, you know, with every man or the groups and they want relationships to work, but they don't know how to, and it's more of a than just a cognitive thing. They just don't know how to be in a state that creates creates connection that develops relationships.
0: Absolutely. And I think what you mentioned about slowing down is so important because, um, you know, for some people they need to, they feel like they need to get their lives together, that they need to get motivated and that, you know, they got to take the next steps and that's important. Um, but for so many other people, you know, even if you're only working part of the day, you're on your phone, the other times you're texting, you're emailing, you're, you're, uh, you know, you're, goal directed the entire day and mm-hmm. so it's it's important to take a moment uh, just to be and and that can be uh to slow down and just to be it can it can really be eye-opening uh, you mentioned john Kabat-Zinn and mindfulness uh, like i had sp- spoken about before is defined as paying attention on purpose in the present moment non-judgmentally um, and that's so important to remember because you know it's it can seem like, oh, it's this sort of um, maybe Buddhist thing or sort of like uh, I need to be chanting a mantra or I need to be focusing on my breathing. And sometimes those those things are appropriate, but it, just at your beginning stage to just sit there and pay attention on purpose to the present moment, non-judgmentally. You can pay attention uh, if you want to focus on one thing of, of just um, w- one of your senses. So. Just focus, uh, pay attention non-judgmentally to, um, to one specific thing that you can see, um, you know. so maybe a, a window or a flower or something, um, or to uh, focus just on a sensation that you're smelling and try to appreciate the different notes of the, the smell that you're you know smelling, the different things that it smells similar to um, just pay attention to it non-judgmentally. It's, it's a way to slow yourself down in a world where we're all moving so fast and, and don't do yeah, of that.
1: Exactly. And for a lot of guys, what I recommend is that they just go out in nature because you focus on nature, the bird or the sound of the bird or whatever, and it just naturally slows you down. And we do these expeditions out in nature to like Yellowstone or wherever. And it's amazing that, um, Within a couple of days, these guys really start to downregulate, and we haven't done anything. Just being in nature and being physical in nature relaxes them, uh, and you know, most of the guys come from these cities, and you know, they're in that kind of state that you just described, Ned, and they don't really get a chance to be in nature. But by being in nature, nature is really the best healer, and it just naturally slows us down. And when they leave, it takes them a few days to, to readjust to the lifestyle because they're so used to being in that natural rhythm where just being in that rhythm down-regulates their stress.
0: Absolutely. Well, I, you know, I think we just touched a little bit on it with nature and with mindfulness, but the one thing I like to ask everyone is what is something that you do for your brain health that maybe is uh, unexpected, um, Uh, Just something that you find helpful for yourself that you would like to send listeners home with. Uh,
1: I do several things and I have over the years uh, because I grew up with dyslexia and Asperger's and ADD. uh, So I had to heal a lot of that. I haven't healed all of it, but the vast majority I've healed. But one of the things that I do is that I'll take a short nap or like a power nap. So if I start to feel I'm getting tired and you know, and it's taken me 100 units of brain power to get done something that should just take 10, uh, I've reached a point of diminishing returns. So, you know, either meditate, lie down, take a nap, rest my brain, let my body and my mind uh, refresh, and then I come back uh, a lot more efficient and able to get much more work done uh, quicker and actually enjoy it, not feel like I'm pushing myself.
0: There you go. You just heard it from Owen Markets himself. The the key to brain health uh, being some rest in in the middle of the day if you feel like you need it, and that's something that's really big for me too. Um, the power nap, like around twenty minutes, where you just enter a really shallow phase of sleep. You don't go into the deep uh, phases of sleep because. Once you start to drop off, then you'll you'll wake up feeling groggy, but having those nice short naps um, for anyone that's listening, I, I also find to be really helpful for myself. Yeah,
1: and we know it changes the brain waves, and, and which allows the brain and the body to rejuvenate, um, right? Um, just like meditation or trance work. Um, yeah. So, and and the more your body does that, the more your body gets attuned to that state, so the easier it is to go back to it.
0: Right. Absolutely. Well, um, you know, for anyone that's listened and they they want to learn more about you or more about everyman, where could they find more information?
1: Yeah, they can go to everyman.com and it's spelled with a second E missing. So it's E V R Y man. So yeah, we have our groups or membership, or we're now coming back to our live events. We're doing a big one uh, in a couple of weeks in, in uh, Northern California. Uh, yeah uh, just check us out. Uh, you're welcome to contact me. I'm Owen at everyman.com um, and I want yeah I want, want to leave the guys with a sense that not only is there hope but uh, there's some very simple things you can do and you don't need every man to do it that can really not only change your brain health but your body uh, and your relationships and you don't need to do it alone that's probably the biggest takeaway
0: well that's very helpful thank you owen um i think this has been an awesome conversation it's really great getting to know you um and like everyone and every man says uh, you are the uh, the man whisperer in, <laughs> and I see why um it's really great to hear everything you have to say so thank you very much Hey, listeners, some of you have so kindly asked how you can support the podcast. You can help by supporting us on Patreon, so please kindly find our Patreon link in the show notes. You can also support us by leaving a review, so please let me know what you think about the show by leaving a review on iTunes. You can find me on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook as Dr. Nissen. And it's important to note that this podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. And the use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is content of this podcast and is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment